Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everyone, it's Caroline from G Thanks Just Bought It, reminding you that in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at G Thanks Just Bought It Pod. You can find products that don't make it onto the episodes and recommendations from listeners like you. So before you start this episode, give it a follow and say hi in the comments. And for a full list of every product we featured on G Thanks, visit gthanksjustboughtit.com slash episodes. See you there. Hey everyone, welcome to another week of G Thanks Just Bought It, the podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. I'm your host, Caroline Moss, and today I am joined by Clever Girl Finance founder and CEO, Bola Shakombi. She is a certified financial education instructor, she's a money expert, um, a best selling author. Bola, how many hours are in your day? Just wondering. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> feels like more than mine. Just just kind of off the bat of your resume feels like more than mine. Um, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Um, we talk so much about, so, you know, we're a, a shopping podcast, which I think when we launched sort of made people a little like, oh, like more stuff. Um, but I <laughs> but I think we've tried to create a community where it's like it's not about having more stuff. It's about kind of shopping smarter. Um, and I feel like hand in hand with the shopping conversation and talking about, you know, what's worth getting the the cheap item versus the investment item is this idea of spending money. And I was really ready at the beginning of 2020 uh, to do this whole like 2020 finance plan that we were all going to do together, all the listeners and me and just like, and you know what happened in 2020. Um, not uh, yes. <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> um, so I was like, maybe we can start again. Like, you know, here we are. It's November. I can't believe I'm already thinking about doing my taxes for 2020, but here we are. It's November. And I was like, we have to have someone who knows what they're doing with money come on the show and just school us all. So I am just thrilled to be able to have a good, honest financial chat with you. Same here. It's going to be fun. You kind of noticed growing up that your mom was not in charge of your family finances and your dad sort of did all of that stuff. And she wasn't like a part of that conversation. And that kind of made you change your mind or you evolved your thinking on, you know, how you viewed money and how you wanted to sort of take control of your own finances. How did that like, how did that, was that like the starting point of all of this? Yeah. Well, you know, that was kind of in retrospect, thinking about that when I got older as a young kid, I didn't really pay too much mind about it or so much mind to it. But when I got out of college and got my first big job and wanted to start saving money just to, you know, make my parents proud, they had sacrificed a lot for me to go to college and just be able to stand on my own two feet. Um, just given, you know, a lot of the things my parents would tell me growing up, I started to reflect on those scenarios and observations I had of my mom when I was growing up and 
the decisions that she made to change, um, you know, her life from just being the stay-at-home mom that was being given money to buy groceries to taking her financial wellness into her own hands and then eventually becoming a key contributor to our family finances. So, you know, those that experience of watching my mom, you know, just not really know anything about our family finances, have no control of the money, and then seeing her evolve to this woman with, you know, going to college with four children, starting from, you know, first sophomore year, whatever the first year of college is, um, in her mid-30s, because she wanted to create financial wellness for herself, has been incredibly impactful in my life. That is, that's amazing. And you grew up in, in Nigeria, right? Well, I grew up in between the U.S., Nigeria, and uh, Europe, so I've kind of like <laughs> bounced around. You bounced around. You went to high school yeah. in Nigeria. I went to high school in Nigeria. Correct. Got it. And then, where did you go to college? I went to college in between Europe and the U.S. Wow. And and you said your parents paid for college, and then they were kind of like, you know, it's all up to you now. Like we've given you the tools, we've given you the education. Go forward. Yeah, so my my mom actually paid for my college in addition to a partial scholarship I had um, because that was just the option. Um, At the time, Nigeria was going through a lot of economic uncertainty. Universities were closed two, three years at a time. There were always strikes as a result to like teacher and professor pay. So it just wasn't, it would have taken me forever to graduate if I was able to start at the time. And so my parents really... My dad was like, I can't afford to send you to college. You know, he had sent my brothers to college and supported them through their college education um, with partial student loans because they, um, you know, were American citizens. But for me, it was like, I, you know, my he had to retire early due to health issues and the finances were just not there. My mom was like, well, I've been putting money aside and I'm going to give you this opportunity. It's not a gift. It's not your right. And your goal is to go figure out how you're going to get some scholarships and I will support you with the difference. Wow. So um, my mom hustled. She worked really hard throughout me going to college. I, I, I knew every dollar she was spending on every class. Um, and as soon as I came out of college, the first thing I wanted to do was save money um, and make my parents proud and be able to support my parents into the future. For me personally, I saw how much my mom struggled to to pay for my college. It wasn't, you know, we, she was converting a much, much lower currency Right. Um, you know, which means she had to have twice, three, four times as much more wow. um, in order to make those payments. And it was at the expense of many things that she wanted to do in her own, in her own life and for our family. So, you know, people will say, oh, you know, you're so privileged. You got your mom to pay for college. You couldn't get a student loan. I didn't get a student loan because I was an international student and nobody would co-sign a student loan for me, yeah. <laughs> which in retrospect was a blessing in disguise. My older brothers um, who were born here had student loans in addition to my dad supporting them through college, right? College is so expensive. So just knowing that there's just knowing where I come from, knowing the struggle, knowing, you know, the fact that both of my parents first to go to college coming out of families that came from poverty, um, just knowing that I, I just, I have, I had to, and I continue to have to, you know, make my parents proud and just support them and set the stage for my children. That's what I intend to do for them as well. That is amazing. I think that that's such a smart way of of looking at it also. And like, you know, every, you know, there there is a lot of truth to the adage of just like knowing what the value of a dollar is. And I think for people who 
um, you know, I had a job in college too. And I, I remember like after the first two weeks and getting my paycheck and it was like, you know, 200, it's like a part-time job. It's like $270. Um, <laughs> for what I assume, like, you know, you kind of have this in your head. You're like, I've been working so hard. I'm, this better be like worth it. And then you realize very quickly, oh, it's definitely not worth it, but I have to keep doing it. Um, there is no other option. You have to keep working. And it is just, it is so, it's wild to think that, that someone's idea of, of privilege also is being able to, to know that your, your parent is, is like really, really breaking their back for you. Like that's not privilege. You know, that's someone who's, who's saying like, you know, I'm determined and I will play by the rules of the system, um, to do it. But that's not like, I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like <laughs> like signing a student loan, like that was, a, that's a whole scam. Like that's, I mean, that's like a scam. And I mean, like the whole thing is messed up. It, it's yeah. That's a whole, a whole other podcast. Right. Episode. Exactly. Um, but you know, I think we live in a society where it's bad if you're privileged. It's a lot of people think it's bad if you have something or you you're well off or, you know, like, you know, coming from where I came from, you know, my dad is a twin. I'll give you a really quick story. My dad is a twin. And um, my grandfather did not believe in educating the female child because of his concerns about colonial colonialism and all kinds of other things. So mm-hmm. My father has two PhDs. He's highly educated. And his twin sister, um, my aunt, does not read and write. Wow. Um, she is um, incredibly smart, you know, but she's just not formally educated in the typical definition of a formal education. And my both of my parents, both of my parents come from poor backgrounds, poverty, and when I succeed, right, if I do well and I, I build wealth, I'm able to support my family and change the narrative for my generation. Mm. But people don't realize that. And they're like, well, oh, they just have this money or they just do these things because they're privileged. I think there's nothing wrong with being privileged, right? Having the opportunity to work and do well or even get a student loan to go to college, right? Someone right. to sign that for you. Fine. Sure. It's privilege. But as long as you recognize it and you know how you're leveraging your privilege for good, or for benefit of your family, for yourself, of your community, then it's perfectly fine. You shouldn't feel bad to have privilege um, unless you're using it in a way that's just not useful. Well, that's keeping others down. Yeah. Like if you're using privilege to oppress. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like the privilege of being able to sign the student loan, yes, is a privilege. But the fact that like that 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 the student loan economy itself exists to prey on people who are told like yeah the interest rate is like super low and you'll just be paying it for the next 85 years is like that sucks um, i think that's the economy of uh finance in, in, in general, in general. <laughs> it's you know one thing that everyone needs to keep in mind when it comes to student loans credit cards mortgages whatever anything that has to do with debt yeah um it is business and these companies are in the business of making money Off of and they you. make money yeah. through interest. You are the product. You are the commodity. That's right. And once you're aware of that, you can make start to make mindful decisions and start to correct some of the decisions that you have made and, you know, find ways to get ahead of your student loan. So the government isn't doing much about it. You have this debt, but doesn't mean that you have to stay complacent and do what the what the student loan servicer is telling you pay your debt for 85 years. There are ways to get ahead of it, get around it, get on top of that interest, minimize how much interest they could potentially charge you over the life of your loan. So yes, these systems are working against us, but 
I really encourage people not to sit back and let them just take advantage of us. Oh, for you sure. You have to find ways to like get ahead and fight back. Um, you know, in your own way. What just like, I mean, it probably would take a long explanation, but if you have a short <laughs> explanation, like what, how would you, like, how would you go about fighting? Like what, tell us a way, give me a way for people to be like, you know, what can people do if, if they want to do something about their student loans? Well, you know, first of all, when it comes to anything debt related, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. It's not fun. It's not exciting. It's difficult. <laughs> it's a long road. I'm just, I just want to set the stage. It's right. just no magic to it. Right. But in terms of your student loans, I think what's really key is that I see so many people who don't know how many loans they have. Oh my God. They don't know who their loan services are because many people will sign loans every semester. They have a combination of federal and private loans. Many people do not even know the interest rates associated to their loans or how their loans are being compounded based on that interest rate. Right. Your loan could be compounding daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. But compounding means interest, earning interest, earning interest on top of your principal balance. And so a lot of times when it comes to debt, it's never about the principal balance, right? Yeah. If there was nothing happening to that, you can pay that down and see the effects. It's about the fact that interest is compounding. And in a matter of years, that principal can double or triple or quadruple based on your interest rate and how it's compounding. And that's what keeps people stuck. So just really basically first step, how many loans do I have? Pulling my credit report. What are the interest rates? And then using that information to create a plan. If I have a student loan that has a 7% interest rate, my goal is to focus my attention on that student loan where every time I have extra money, I make a payment in excess of the minimum payment so that at each month my principal balance can be reduced before that compounding effect happens and I can get ahead of that interest and pay my loan down faster. It's also simple tricks like understanding what are the details of your loan? When you typically get a loan, you're given something called an amortization schedule, similar to when you buy a house and you get a mortgage. And basically it tells you all the payments you're going to make over the life cycle of the loan, right? Until mm -hmm. you pay it off. Right. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to follow that schedule and it's going to take me 20 years to pay off that loan. But if you look at that schedule, you will see that the lender has built in every penny of interest possible that they can legally take from you into this schedule and it's tied to you making those minimum payments. So make minimum payments and we're happy. We are in business. You and I are going to be best friends because you as my product are making me money, but you want to try to pay ahead and simple tricks with the student loan services is that a lot of times, if you don't tell them when you're making an extra payment to assign that payment to principal, it gets assigned to interest. Oh, I did and not that, know that. Yes. So people will be making extra payments on their student loans. Oh. And like, you know what? My loans are never going down. I can't get ahead of this. It's because you haven't explicitly said, hey, log into my online account, call the company each month and say, hey, listen, this extra $100, this extra $500 I'm paying, I want it to go to my principal balance. Otherwise, they're just following that schedule and taking their interest from you ahead of time. I am shocked. I had no idea that you had to actually specify, apply it to the principal. Yes, in many instances you do. Sometimes it's a button you click, right? Sometimes it is um, you have to call them, That's you know, or write up. it on the check, depending on your servicer. And there's some student loan services that would tell you, oh, well, you can't make extra payments. But typically by default, if you make an extra payment, they are, they are 
obligated or required to apply it to your principal balance. So you can make a payment. Okay. So that's, so basically, okay, that is so interesting. I had no, I had no <laughs> idea. After, I know. No, no, no. I but know. that's so, that is such a good tidbit of information because I had no idea that, because I assumed if you are paying extra, it would go onto the principal. Um, and just, yeah. And for layman's <laughs> terms, like for those who are sort of even, like so beginner at finance it's totally fine they don't teach us this stuff in school and that's a problem um the principal balance is like if you took out a student loan for sixty thousand dollars it's sixty the principal is sixty thousand dollars the the interest that gets compounded is based on how much is left over of that sixty thousand dollars after every payment they charge you interest based on that amount sometimes you end up paying more in interest than on the principal depending and sometimes people i mean i've i have friends who have been paying their student loans for 10 years and have only paid interest like yes not even close it's by design it is by it's design to that schedule you know when you buy a home and you look at the schedule they give you yeah the first 10 15 years of your mortgage if you have a 30-year mortgage is paying interest but the way you get ahead of that is that when you make extra payments you designate it to your principal you know and this is in the fine 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 print that nobody ever reads <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and is buried in the contractual documents. But you it's, you know, again, these companies are not here for your your best interest. Yeah. They're here to make money. They're not here. And so that's right. Given the fact that they're not here for your best interest, you need to figure out how to get ahead of them. Right. Yeah. And get out of their vicious cycle. Right. Um, exactly. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We uh, so I think you and I have something in common in in that. Um I also got a credit card in college and did not understand how it worked. Um, and so uh, I racked up a lot of debt very quickly, was only paying the minimum, which was like, what, $25, and then was getting killed with interest. And it took me 11 years to get out. Um, and in that 11 years, it was a huge learn. It was like learning backwards. You know, you learn... A, a true learning from your mistakes moment. Um, but I went to college, right? I, I started college in 2005. So it was before the crash. And this was when they would have banks on college campuses, you know, mm -hmm. offering you t-shirts and tote bags, right? Remember? At the career fair. When oh. you were supposed to be finding a job, they were right there. They were right there with their, their credit card. And their pens. And it's like, here's some free money, girl. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to, oh, you're a, oh, you, you, you make $270 every two weeks. Yeah. We're going to approve you for a $20,000 and I was like, hmm, nothing about this seems wrong or bad. Um, yeah, sure. That sounds right. I should definitely have access to $25,000. Um, and I was just, I didn't know how it worked. I like didn't understand. And the, and the interest rate is like, you know, something's insane, like 27% or, or, you know, even something like 20% was just so much. You mean you spend a hundred bucks if you only pay the minimum, which is like $20, you know, there's another $20 the next month. That's just interest. And yep. you can't get out. And especially if you're if you're really not if you're not aware that credit cards are not just like free money. Um, it's actually more expensive money, but they don't teach you that, you know. And so I learned all of my financial lessons from from, you know, paying off dumb college, 
you know, Domino's pizza bills well into my late 20s. <laughs> and that is a really great way to learn about money. Let me tell you, when you would like to be doing things like buying a house or buying a car or like going on nice vacations, but you have to pay off like thousands of dollars in Daytona spring break fees from 2006. Yeah, that is uh. how it goes. And so I became so interested in finances after that because I was like, how, you know, because you feel like you've been preyed upon. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of it was, I blame myself for a lot of it. Like I should have, my parents are really good with money. And I think I was still at that age where it's like anything my parents do has to be wrong and bad. So I'll just do the opposite. Turns out that was incorrect. <laughs> um, but you know, I was always like, oh, my parents are no fun. Like they said, I can't spend $20,000 on a credit card. It's like, oh, there's a reason for that. Um, and the reason was that I don't have $20,000, but I feel like I, really learned by messing up. Um, how long did it take you to, to get out of the debt? I, I saw that you had said like, you know, you got a credit card when you were young and you didn't really understand how, how it worked and, um, you maxed it out. Like, how did you, how'd you get out? Oh, I got out of it far fast because okay. it was only $2,000, although it felt like it was a billion dollars. Yes. Um, and it could have been a billion dollars given the fact that I was only earning like a hundred bucks every two weeks. Oh yeah. $2,000 <laughs> is a lot of money <laughs> when you're not making any, like for sure. <laughs> exactly. So I had to kill myself to, to spend it, to say, to pay off this debt. And my mom was like, listen, you must be crazy to think I'm going to pay for your college and you're going to be there racking up credit oh, card debt. Yeah. Your mom and my mom would have a lot of fun talking. Let me Better tell you. Better get your life together and don't call me about your stupid debt. Yeah. That was brave. That was brave of you to even call and, and admit it. I definitely never told my I mom. I had to. Oh my God. I had to. So and I felt so guilty. I mean knowing my mom is like killing herself to help me go to college and I'm here getting a credit card to buy some stupid crap. What did you buy? So, anyway, I have to know. What did you buy? I don't even know. You got it. I know. just know one day I bought a I probably bought groceries because I never had enough money to buy groceries. Right. You bought like the expensive uh, so chips. Yeah, exactly. There, yes. Exactly. And I probably bought bought a bunch of useless clothes. Um, that I didn't need. <laughs> I'm still doing that. I don't know what that, I bought. So. It was nothing well, tangible. Right. Nothing useful. Nothing beneficial. Well, the food was beneficial. <laughs> Great. Yes. But not at the interest. My interest was 24.99. You and I were probably the like, the fanciest eaters. in co Yeah. I was buying myself like the nice charcuterie plate. I'm like, I am a 17 year old trash bag or however <laughs> old I was just eating like really good food from like the gourmet grocery store. But yeah, like I have nothing to, sh I have nothing to show for that money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I killed myself to pay it off. I, I was done paying it off by the time I got to graduation. <laughs> wow. Oh, you're so much better than I, me. $2,000. Congratulations. But And I'm sure your mom was like, mm, like, great. Good oh, job. She's like, I don't ever want to have this conversation. Deal with it or I will kill you. Like, seriously, I didn't bring it up again. I was like, I dealt with it. <laughs> you know, what? I have to tell you the funniest story when my so I was like, uh, got a credit card. I turned 18 in November of my freshman year of college. And I think I got a credit card like that day. That's probably how I celebrated. And uh, <laughs> I think by my senior year, um, I was probably like a good $6,500 in and just, you know, wow. always paying the minimum. So it was just interest. And I was never buying anything big. Like it's like the same as you said, it's like you go to the grocery store, you just pick up a few extra things. Like you pay, you know, you got a few more beers, you take a cab home to, you know, from the bar, you, you go out to dinner with your friend. Like, it's just a lot of different, like you go to CVS and spend like $30 on like 
crap makeup, um, <laughs> which is a big enjoyable uh, thing for Target has a lot of my money still to this day. And I, I remember like kind of just having that stress moment where you like kind of wake up in a cold sweat and you're like oh my, like what have I done like I'm so screwed like I can't get out from under this mountain I'm a senior in college I don't have a, like a like a legitimate job that actually pays enough money to be able to like and I'm, and I'm hiding this from my parents who are paying for my education and the whole point of my mm. parents paying for my education was we do not want you to be in debt when you get out of school so that you can go right from school to a job to like independent, like living your life. Like we are, you know, you're not living with us for longer than like six or seven weeks after you graduate. I lived at home for, for two months after I graduated from college and then I moved into New York, um, which was an, another privileged thing for me because my parents live right outside the city. So I could, I found a job in the city, was commuting and then eventually moved in. But my parents didn't know about the debt. So I'm like about I had just signed this lease on the apartment. The apartment is I live in a closet essentially with a girl I don't <laughs> know. York. Yeah. You know, New York. I, my my window is facing someone else's bathroom window, which I don't recommend. Um, and, you know, I'm making probably $2,000 a month after all is said and done. I remember the first job I had was $34,000 a year. And when I got that job offer, I called my parents and I was like, guess what? I am so rich. Like I am so rich. And my parents were like, you are, that is not, <laughs> that is after, and they were like, let's sit down and talk about what this actually is after taxes. And then I found out and I was like, taxes are a scam. That is not fair. Um, And I was still in all of this debt. And I remember I just finally like broke down and my parents were like livid because they were like the whole point was that you know we paid for college so that you would not be in this position how did you get in this yeah. position by going to target and they were like how much debt are you in like how much is it and i i knew i'm like if i tell them the real number i'm gonna like <laughs> i'm gonna You're get like dead. i'm dead they're gonna take me out to the driveway and run me over with the car i am dead so i go i think i think it's like i think i think it's like two thousand dollars they were two thousand dollars are you kidding me are you kidding me i'm like oh my god thank god i didn't say what the real number was like they are screaming at me they were like how did you do this but there was no help like i got no i mean rightfully so i got no bailout i've always said and i wonder if you agree because i like really want this to be a reality did you have to take home the baby when you were in high school was that a part of your was that a part of your high school curriculum no, I think that's more of an American thing. <laughs> well, it definitely <laughs> was for me. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I had to take home the I had to take home the Cabbage Patch doll who cried, and there was like a two a whole a whole curriculum about not getting pregnant, and I was like, I'm not going to get pregnant. Do I still have to take this baby? Like, I'm I'm good. Like, I get it. Like, use a condom, birth control, like you know. Sex makes a baby. I, I, I'm on board. Do I have to take home the baby? And they're like, you got to take home ni- the baby. That was a nice, uh, the nice education. Right. <laughs> on our end, it was like, try it and find out what happens. Right. Come, come right. back home and die here because we're going to kill you. <laughs> oh, they tried. They, I mean, the public school really, they, they gave you a lot. It was very scientific, but they told you what happened. Um, it, yes, I learned a lot. A lot of it is seared into my memory, uh, and I try to repress it on a daily basis. But we did learn a lot. But I always thought how much it would have been so much more helpful if they had sent us home with credit cards, like you know, Visa gift cards with X amount of dollars on them, and been like, make a budget, you know, write out a check, figure out how you pay your bills. Because all of a sudden, you turn around, you're an adult, and you're like, no one ever taught me how to do this. 
Like yes, I, but if they teach you how to do it, then how are we gonna take advantage of you and make so much interest off of you? Okay. You don't need to know that. That's stuff. so true, <laughs> right? But how, right? How are you gonna get seven T-shirts outside the dining hall? Exactly, and, and 25, 25 and free pens. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, all of those. I have that, stuff. that was the most expensive T-shirt I have ever ever worn. Let me tell you, um, it's true. It's it. It feels like a con. Like be way less worried about worried about teenage pregnancy and way more worried about teenagers just not understanding how a credit card works. I think also we have room to be worried about both, but I would have rather had the that financial lesson. You know, I really I had a friend who um got her first credit card, spent a thousand dollars, and then didn't pay it off. Like then just started saving and then didn't pay it off until she had a thousand dollars because she didn't realize you could just pay some of it. So all of a sudden she had her credit was messed up because she had five months where she didn't pay anything because she didn't have a thousand dollars. She didn't pay until she had a thousand dollars. And then of course, by then the bill is $1,500. Um, but like, and the banks are so happy, right? They love that. (laughs) So how do you like, okay, so you have two seven-year-olds, you have twins. So this must run in your family twins. Yes, they do. Um, two boys, two girls, one of each. I have a boy and a girl. Cool. Okay. So you have a boy and a girl. They're seven. Are you starting their financial education early? Like what, how do you talk to them about money? Yeah, I'm definitely teaching them about money. I mean, I, I teach money. I talk about money all the time. So it's something that is inherent. They see me doing it. Like, you know, I, I have a couple books out. My daughter's like, I'm writing a book about money. It's just, wow. okay. <laughs> they learning by observation. Wait, you but are I'm writing the book very, or your daughter's writing the book? No, she's writing her own book. Okay. Amazing. I'm writing my book. Great. Yeah, Cause she, she's observing me, but for me, um, it's just being very intentional about teaching my kids about money um, because I want my children to succeed. And just living in America as children of color, as black kids, um, having personal finance, financial capacity or, mm-hmm. you know, is incredibly important because when you have money, it gives you options, lets you walk away from opportunities, from situations that don't serve you. Yes. It helps you create opportunities. It helps you, you know, you can use your dollar as your voice. You can impact your community. So I'm teaching about money. We talk about budgeting, we talk about saving, we talk about investing. They ask questions, they go grocery shopping with me and mm-hmm. we have a list and we have a plan. So I, I try to make it Obviously, I'm not a I'm not a teacher, so sometimes I, I teach them things that are way over their head, and they're like, "Mom, what are you talking about?" <laughs> but they <laughs> but, let you, you know, know. Kids, kids yeah. learn very much so by observation, and they see what I do, and they see how I spend, and they see they hear what me and their dad talk about, and I, I'm teaching them how to be owners and not consumers. So just because you like Costco doesn't mean you spend all your birthday money in Costco. It means we can buy some Costco stock and you can become an owner. Oh my gosh. You know, so my daughter has this idea that, wow. you know, I'm an owner of Dunkin' Donuts. So when I'm 18, I'm going to go work there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> because she's, I'm the owner. She's, she's like, like, I'm the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm like, sure. <laughs> well, you know, I still haven't learned the lesson of not spending all my birthday money at Costco. And now I'm like, yeah, I should buy some Costco stock. Like, like, this is things I'm 33. Like it's probably time to figure it out. That is so smart. You know, that is so smart that they even have, I think that when you said that you take them to the grocery store and they can see like this costs this and this costs this, and this is why we're going to buy this versus this. Or if you buy more of this item, it ends up, you know, it might look like more expensive on the price tag, but it's actually less because you're buying in bulk. Like those are invaluable lessons um for them to be able yeah. to see it that's real life application um and now your daughter's and sometimes, writing a book yeah sometimes <laughs> i tell them listen 
I just don't have money. Mm-hmm. You want to buy something? I don't. Do you, do you have money? No. Okay, we can't buy it. Close. Right. End of story. Were you a big? Um, do you like Susie Orman? Yeah, I definitely admire Susie Orman. My mom loves Susie Orman. I feel like <laughs> I feel like our generation. Maybe you should be our generation's like new Susie Orman. But <laughs> I remember one of the things she liked to do was she would have me watch that segment of her show where someone would call in and be like, "Can I afford?" this you're not approved and you are not approved (laughs) and my mom's whole lesson was always like you know you don't spend money you don't have like just because you have $50 in your pocket doesn't mean you spend it you know you use it for x y and z or you sacrifice this to be able to pay for this and you buy a, a used car instead of a new car you don't upgrade your phone every time there's a new phone and those were all really I think really smart lessons to learn but I think what I was kept out of was the financial planning conversations that it sounds like you keep your kids in, um, which I think it would have been really nice to see some like real life application. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes some parents feel like if they're going through their own financial journey, like who am I to teach my kids about money? But I think that's the perfect opportunity to teach them because they can watch you create your plan to pay off debt or to save or to invest. And you can start to have those open and honest conversations with your kids, right? We don't always have to speak at them. We can speak with them and just let them know um, how we're navigating things and how things are going. I think that's a great time to teach your children about money. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, um, I'm I'm all about just finding ways to incorporate teaching your kids about money um, in your in your day to day life, like simple things like grocery shopping or, you know, when they ask for snacks and how much the snacks cost and things like that. I love that. I feel like I want to know from you, Bola, like we are going into a new year soon. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. And as we record this, we don't know how the election is going to go or a week or a week ahead of the election. I have, I have a, I think I have a pretty good, personally speaking, I have a pretty good financial relationship with my own money and my husband and I, we actually never merged our finances, but we have a lot of shared stuff and then we keep our own things separate. Um, I was such a good, good saver, uh, for a few years of my life. And then as the money slows down, as I think for a lot of people it did in 2020, It's harter to save because it's like you said, it's not fun to pay off debt. Like it's way more fun to save when you have more money to save, you know, like when I can still get the things that I want and save money. Love that. Um, Not there currently. Uh, So I'm working with a lot less income, but I'd still like to keep saving. Um, And I think I'm doing I think I've been cutting myself a lot of slack and doing a little bit of the minimum. But like, what are some what are some like good 2021 like financial goals that like even small ones? Like, what are ways that you think that people should be sort of, you know, like taking advantage of like different? I don't even know. You're the expert. It's not me. Tell me like tell me what to do so that at the end of 2021, I feel good about whatever I was able to save. Yeah. So like you said, there's a lot of uncertainty going on, right? We are all navigating this pandemic that doesn't have a cure, doesn't have a vaccine, doesn't have over-the-counter medicine, and does not have a timeline, right? There's no analyst that can sit on their computer and predict, oh, you know, by this month and this day, we should start to see the other side and turn the corner That's right. of this thing. Typically, what happens with your general recession, they can model after historical events, but there's nothing to model after here right now. That's right. They can try, but, you know, it's like just throwing whatever at a wall and trying to hope it sticks. Yeah. So 
what's really important, I think, for everyone is just prioritizing emergency savings, um, especially if um, you are working, you're fortunate to be working right now, yeah. you're worried about job security, you're worried about loss of income in your household, you're worried about reduction of income in your business. Many, many um, companies are doing uh, freezes on raises and bonuses. So if you are lucky to be employed right now, um, please start saving money. Like, you know, really look hard at your budget. What do you not need to be spending money on right now so that you can buffer up your savings mm -hmm. because of the uncertainty? And it's not that you're not going to be able to buy nice things. This is just focusing over this temporary period to make sure that you can feel comfortable with the amount of cash you have in the bank. Um, if you're in a position where you're unemployed, you know, my my advice is to start thinking of ways to get creative to earn money and let go of the idea that, you know, I have this master's degree, I have this PhD, my salary was X, Y, Z, I can only take that kind of job and just be opening, be open to do what you need to do to put food on the table and put money in the bank. And it might be difficult, it might be demoralizing navigating a situation like this, but it's only temporary. And it's about getting out of your comfort zone and doing what you need to to survive. Sure. I would also say that once you have your savings in place, you know, um, while you're doing that, for everyone employed, you know, not employed, start thinking about ways to generate extra income. Mm -hmm. Can you get a part-time job if you need to? Are there things sitting in your garage or in your office that you can sell, right, in your kitchen mm -hmm. for extra money uh, on Facebook, Marketplace, those websites? Is there a side hustle that you can start that you can make money, create an Etsy shop, create, you know, a, an online business and start to monetize some of your skills? This is a time to really get creative and find ways to create multiple streams of income so that if you lose one stream, you're not completely devastated. And then I would also encourage everybody to think long term. Um, a lot of people are seeing the stock market go through different swings and they're panicking and stressing out. But again, this is something that's happening right now, short term. Yes. And if you don't need this money for retirement until way into the future, um, then it's okay not to log into your account for a while, you know, keep investing consistently, you know, with your paycheck deductions um, while you're saving and just don't worry about it until you get closer to your timeline. The investing and not looking at your account is such a good piece of advice. And I want to like harp on that a little bit more because I think this is exactly the kind of uncertain time where people start thinking like, I'm going to pull all my money. Like this is bad. Um, I recently started investing in the last like four years, um, which is a little late, I think for for someone whose parents I feel like have been really on top of finances because I was like kind of rejecting their way of life until I realized it was obviously a hundred percent correct. Um, and I remember like I would look at my account every day cause the market was doing pretty well. And I was like, I am doing so good. I am rich. I am rich. Like all my savings are amazing. <laughs> and then of course, like on the bad days, including the last essentially year, the last like nine months, you know, people, including myself, like there was a lot of money gone. You know, that's how the stock market works. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But what my parents always taught me, and I'm so glad to hear you say it too, is like this is, you're playing the long game with the stock market. Like, and your returns average out, you know, to be like some years you're going to do really well and some years you're not going to do really well. And then maybe the next year you're going to do really well or like two years aren't going to be good. The only time you have to worry about it is like within the, the last like three to five years before it's time to to cash out um for retirement or whatever you're using that those investments for and i think the problem now with 
these accounts is that they all come with an app that you could be checking hourly if you wanted to. And it's like, just don't put the app on your phone. Like you're, you know, the, the, wherever you are investing your money will send you like either quarterly statements or, you know, biannual statements being like, here's where you're at. But I feel like there's nothing good can come from looking every single day. I think it's kind of, you have to learn how to just be like, that money is not really for me to touch right now. It's for 30 years from now. I'm not going to fret about the, what's happening in the stock market. Exactly. And it's also important to keep in mind that while you're seeing the stock market go through its swings, right, unless you're actually making a transactional, you're, you're, you're selling something, um, those are not realized gains or losses. They're just numbers moving around. Right. Right. That's not your money. I mean, it is your money, but you haven't realized the gain or loss because right. you haven't taken the action to sell anything. Right? Exactly. So, you know, it has the opportunity to go up or go down, but over time, the average return still indicates up if you give your money time and you just let it do what it does and grow from appreciation and dividends and compounding on that. That's what makes investing so excited. So the way we talked about compounding earlier on debt and how it can work against you, yeah, compounding when it comes to investing works is, so for you. Works for you, and that's what you want to pursue. Yeah, because that compounding. Um... I, you know, you put, you know, you put $10,000 in the bank and it grows, you get paid for keeping that money there. So you're basically making money on free money and then you're making money on that free money. And so you could just be investing what I love. And maybe you have a, a good recommendation for one. And I will put it in the show notes is like those investment calculators that show like if you invest, you know, $200 a month for the next 30 years, what would you probably end up with? And it's all because of the interest. Exactly. It's interest and it's compounding of that interest. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't have a recommendation because there are just so many good ones you can put. You can, it really depends on what it, what you like aesthetically, what looks pleasing to you sure. from a visual perspective. But just search like, you know, savings calculator or investment calculator and you'll see a ton that come up and you can start to play around with those numbers. I love that. My um, a family friend of ours, you know, when my, when I had like a job in high school, my mom would try to sit down with me and be like, instead of, you know, spending this money on whatever you're doing with it, like, why don't you start investing it? Because then by the time you're 30, you know, it'll be worth like $20,000. Like this $8,000 that you made this summer will be worth, you know, twice as much for, and you would have had to do nothing. You know, it's just, you just keep it there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'll never be 30. Like 30 is so, <laughs> 30 is so far away. I'm, what do you, like, you're crazy. I'm going to McDonald's. Um, but it's true. It's like, literally, you just get paid to keep your money sitting. And, and that's kind of, I don't know. That's great. Yeah. You want to be like making money on that money. Um, but it's also very difficult to like, I'm going to direct everybody to, Clever Girl Finance because it's like a really great way to start, especially if this is new to you, because I'm sure that like th this stuff is overwhelming, right? I mean, like, did you feel overwhelmed by it when you started first sort of getting into this? Um, not really, because I just didn't, you know, it's overwhelming when you, when you get a bunch of information thrown at you and then you're just not doing anything, but just letting the information hit you from all corners. Sure. I think it can be overwhelming if you're just not being intentional and trying to figure it out on your own. Right. And it's as simple as you listen to, if you can listen to Jim Kramer all day long and just feel completely <laughs> overwhelmed. And just well, that would make anyone feel overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and it's like, 
you don't like you can find a different way to learn about investing as opposed to spend an hour watching him and not understand anything he's saying. And it's as simple as picking up an investing book and creating goals and plans for yourself and just really start to outline your plan. And you may not know all the answers, but just having that confidence that you're learning can make all the difference in helping to manage that overwhelm. So for me, it was being intentional about learning. What is a stock? I'm going to start there. Everybody talks about investing, but investing in stocks or in funds. What do these things mean? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Now I know what a, a stock means. How do I buy one? Right. You know, it's, it's creating a step-by-step approach to learning what you need to learn. Right. It's like your college curriculum. You don't just get all the books for your whole four years. Every, every right. semester you have classes and every class has a breakdown of what you're going to cover every week. And it makes the whole college experience doable because you're not getting 5,000 classes right. and 4,000 weeks of information at one go. Exactly. Right. You're not eating the whole elephant at one time, piece by piece, or however the saying goes. I think that that's really smart. And just like your daughter, we can all be the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts one day. Um, <laughs> right. That's all of our plans. Um, so I'm so excited to hear what you brought. And of course, you guys, I understand that this also might feel like a lot of financial information just hit you. Um, but I will, I will get you some resources. We'll put in the show notes. And like, I think finances can be really fun. And especially like Bola said, like once you start understanding, it does become a lot less intimidating, but what is very scary is just letting all of this stuff happen to you with no action. So it will be one of our resolutions to all sort of take stock of our stocks and our lives. Um, and I will link to everything in the show notes. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Okay, we are back. Um, Bola, I have to know what you brought to the show. Um, I know you said you recently moved and you have two kids and you said you had some kids furniture that you wanted to talk about. And uh, like I told you, so many moms listen to this podcast. I don't have kids, so I'm not helpful. I would love to know what kind of kids furniture you got for your kids and, and tell me all about it. Yeah, so I'm trying to, with the move, I'm trying to get my kids situated first. So we're focusing on getting their rooms done. And my kids are in this transition period where they're, you know, they, they kind of need big kid stuff now. So this is the perfect time to get it. So we've been focusing on my son's room. And we recently bought him a writing desk, a chair, and two side tables, and a rug. And so there, you know, we're in this space with the, with the pandemic where, um, you know, kids are virtual schooling is something that's just the norm. And so we wow. needed to have a dedicated space for him. So I got a desk and chair and the side tables from, or the bedside tables from Wayfair. And yeah. um, it's called the Otero 47 inch writing desk with Hutch. Okay. Looking it up. And, then- <laughs> looking it up and red. on red, uh, cause he likes red cool. and it transitions into teenage years and it comes with a chair and then we got the matching side tables 
And oh, um, this is so cute. I, I don't know what it's going to look like because it hasn't arrived. Everything is back ordered. But um, <laughs> right. I'm sure desks are so hard to get right now. Oh, my God. Anything that has to do with homeschooling desks, printers, <laughs> um, it just give yourself one to three months. Honestly. <laughs> so we're waiting for this to arrive. Um, it, it was not cheap. Yeah. But I don't like cheap furniture um, because coming out of college, I bought a lot of cheap furniture and it doesn't last. And then there's the challenge of getting rid of it, which if you had just added the money to the to the price to buy a better one, the cost, somebody has to pay to pick this stuff up. You have to pay the junk guy. He's not going to take it for free. People don't want your old junk because it's crappy furniture. So <laughs> I'm learning all about that now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm more of like invest one time. He will use this desk until he goes to college. It's, you know, um, so that's what I got. And then the rug I got was from Pottery Barn. They're right now. Um, they're Cute. having a really great sale. Oh, so good. I got like a cool, like neutral rug. It's called the Labyrinth Labyrinth Rug. Cool. Looking it it's up. black, white, and gray, like with like like different designs and he has a gray bed so it'll fit this is so cool I think I think you are so right on the money with the quality of furniture I think so I I will say I have found some amazing things at Ikea that have lasted way past their expiration date like just (laughs) we have a dining room table that has just been with us it is like the third member of our family like that has lived in every apartment we have lived in like we like I think Dan got it before we even met um and it is now it's now our like backyard table in California like it'll never leave us and I think it was one of those things where it's like we took a chance or Dan took a chance on like a hundred you know and forty dollar table and probably assumed he'd keep it for a year and now it will be buried with us in the backyard um but I feel like especially when you're younger not like your kids age but like when you're you know in your first apartment like it is so much easier to just buy like the cheap version of things. Um, and then you learn very quickly, you spend more money replacing them. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you end up just buying the expensive thing anyway, like later after the cheap thing has broken. But it also is really unreasonable to be like, I mean, yeah, instead of going shopping at Ikea, just buy all of your stuff at West Elm. Like, who, you know, how much could that cost? You, but, have, to find, but there's, <laughs> you have to find the balance. I right. mean, obviously these big stores have sometimes have really great sales. So that expensive rug I bought was at a really great sale. It's like 60 or 70% off. So that's a great quality thing I got for a good price. So you can find deals like that. And then also you have to pick and choose where you're going to splurge and where you're going to yeah. save, right? So you can buy a cheap bed frame, but I just personally, because I want to sleep well at night, I'm not going to buy the cheapest mattress because I'm going to hate it. <laughs> when it starts to sag that is another episode but i'm sleeping on the <laughs> saggiest mattress okay so the desk i love that you're this desk is really cute too I'll, I'll i'll link for you guys so you can see it but it's like it's like it's very it looks very sturdy it looks extremely um not like fancy but it looks it looks nice it looks quality and it's bright and it's bright for a kid yes bright for a kid but it also when he's in high school this won't look like a little kid's desk like it's very versatile for age and it's about a thousand dollars which is yeah not nothing but also you know a thousand dollars and he's seven now if he uses it for another 10 years it's a hundred dollars a year um, I actually got a friend of mine to, so the desk is about a thousand dollars, but I actually got a friend of mine who is, um, she's, uh, 
forget what she does, event planning, whatever. And she has a um, account with Wayfair, like a professional account. And I was able to get the desk, the side tables and the chair for $1,300 with her discount. Okay. So, so we just need your friend. We all just need to be friends with your friend. <laughs> I know, right? That's the, that's the real, that's the real trick. And you can also call Wayfair and ask them, right? They mail out 10% coupons or these companies, not just Wayfair, but all these companies like search. I love, what is that um, coupon website that I always... Is it? I use Honey. Do you use Honey? Honey is one. Rakuten is one. Oh, Rakuten is um, good. There's another site that you can browse coupons. Um, it's called... Oh, we'll find that. That's fun. I love... I love a coupon, coupon. cabin. Sure. There's yeah. All of those fun. ones where you kind of search the store and then they give you like all the available codes. Yes. And retail me not retail. That me not. One, I, I love that one. Cause you could always find like, sometimes I'll be in a store well before COVID buying something for my kids and I'll quickly go check on the site, like Carter's, uh, that retail me not site yep. for like Carter's or gap coupons and there's typically always something to use yeah that is really smart there's also there's just such a wealth of information online about like when certain stores do their sales and you can really plan around your shopping based on you know sale dates and especially like you know retail is down everywhere and and there are better sales right now because they want people to keep shopping and so if there's something that you need you know now is a good time to get it um and you're right. You could you could literally just call up the company and be like, do you have a promo going right now? And they will tell you like there's nothing I hate more than a company who is like being really cagey with their promos. It's like we have a promo, but like we're not going to super advertise it. Like you have to like go out and find it. But I feel like you could have a nice customer service moment where someone's like, yeah, it's this code or like I'll give you this much off. But I mean, to have a friend who has a professional account and can get you these good deals, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, tap into your network. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, you know, do your research, you know, if, you know, if you are in the market to buy stuff for your kids, especially kids furniture, Black Friday is coming up. It Just is. a little bit of patience and bookmarking the things you want to buy and seeing if they go on sale and taking advantage of that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we are big on the Black Friday sales here and um, and and big on a deal. So I think that that's really awesome. Now, does your daughter want the same desk or does she want something different? No, we're looking for something different and we haven't found it at the price I want to pay. Okay, so this is good. Tell us what you're looking for. Tell us the budget. I swear there will be a listener who is going to be able to deliver exactly what you need. So I have my eye on something, but I just don't like the price. So we're looking for the same thing for her, like a table, uh, a table with a hutch and side tables for her bed and then a dresser. And I have my mind, my heart on this Pottery Barn one called the Catalina Storage Desk and Tall Hutch. Okay. But it costs for the table alone, it costs like $850. And that does not include shipping or, you know, like setting it up and that kind of stuff. Cause I'm not, I'm not I cannot carry it. Oh, this is cute. Oh, yeah. No, no and one wants to be doing table, right. That's a, do- um, oh, I, I can see. So I see the table with the drawers, but then I also see that the kind of cork board. Um, the hut with the yeah, show. So that's the hair mm-hmm. and she needs a dresser and two side tables. So this is like $2,500 if I'm being really realistic. <laughs> I'm not spending that. So I'm kind of keeping my eye out for something in the price range of what I bought for my son. 
Um, but I kind of need to get on it because she's gonna see his furniture and be like, "What?" Yeah, she's Where's gonna be like, <laughs> she's gonna be like, "You have a favorite child," and then you're gonna, exactly. you know what? And then you're gonna be paying for therapy for a really long time. So that's right. So we're probably not gonna set up his stuff until <laughs> we figure out her stuff. That's I, just you know. I guess all parents know that struggle. No one can look like they got more of anything. Um, so this is Especially okay. I have twins, right? Right, especially with twins. I, I will link this desk. This is so cute. There has it's to be so cute. there has to be a dupe out there. There has to be yeah. something. This is really adorable. Are you ha- yes, I- are you handy at all? Is your husband handy at all? No, nobody's handy. In okay, this house, cool, so. cool. I was, we I'm not either. And then we'll break the whole thing. But I do know that I got their, uh, their baby furniture, which I eventually sold. And Pottery Barn furniture is built to last. Those furniture, which we got rid of when we moved, looked brand new. Mm-hmm. And I got about half price. Wow. For them, it's so well made and mm-hmm. so worth the investment um, because they use it for such a long time, almost seven years. Yeah. And it, incredible so I, I i just don't want to be going through desks like i always want to get good stuff now and know that they're going to use it until college and then you know we can change bedding the cheap stuff change yeah bedding. that stuff is easy but like the core furniture i want it to last you want to buy it once and and not have so to i have do my eye on this i need to find another friend somewhere who has yeah. a discount <laughs> i go make friends at the mall you know at yeah. the store but <laughs> Yeah, if, if anyone's listening who has a hookup at Pottery Barn, A, call me and also call Bola. Like, where are you? We need you. Um, yeah, I heard they get 20% off or something like that, 25% off. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you yeah, if you have some sort of employee discount that we could uh, me, move, move in on. This is a really cute desk. I, I think it's this is adorable. And I want, you know, you can tell the wood is probably very heavy, very sturdy. And, you know, because there, there's tons of desks, I think, that look like this. And probably what you're running up against is this idea idea of like you don't want the light cheap you know breakable desk because you know it's going to be done for like one one frustrated homework session and this desk is toast um yeah so you I, need, I, you need the sturdy stuff exactly I bought a um a work desk so right now I'm working on a plastic table as you and I speak nice so fancy so I love fancy <laughs> 18 months ago, I bought a work desk. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be cheap. You know, I'm on a budget. I think I paid $250 for this desk. Yep. Um, the first time we, we, we tried to move it, um, the, the top detached from the legs and it broke. And then when we tried to move, it completely collapsed. I'm like, what a waste of my money. <laughs> Jeez. That is, it, it, what a waste of my money. It happens. It and then as I was using it, it was chipping all over the whole place. The paint was fading. Oh, that's the cool. you know when you pull on the side and you feel the the flap of the the fake wood. Yeah, yeah, it was a hot mess. So I'm looking for a quality desk. Also, I, will, I have one that I got from Amazon. I'm going to show you. Like, I'll send you a picture when we're off the phone of this one. It's actually really for what I paid, and I think it was under two hundred dollars. It was pretty quality, and the and the desk that all of the listeners jumped on right as as COVID happened and everyone started working from home were these foldable desks this wouldn't work for your daughter she obviously needs a desk in her room that's like going to be there for a while but there are these really cute but maybe for you these foldable desks from amazon they're 80 dollars, and and it's it's kind of like a space saver like you take it out and you can like you know for all the people who were like i never planned on working from home i don't have enough room it like can go in a corner and then you can also like put it under your bed when you're when you're done with it and there are some really good quality pieces but the problem is is that on an internet as big as the one that is in front of us right now like there's too many options and so often yeah like like 
$80 feels like the right price for like a foldable table, you know, like a, a slightly fancy foldable desk situation. But to, I understand your pain, like 280 bucks. You don't want to see the, the wood, you know, you don't want to see things chipping. You don't want things breaking up. That's a lot of money. I would expect I better quality for $280. That's where did you get that? We gotta, we gotta get them in trouble. Just oh, kidding. If you don't want to call them out, I get it. But, but I would love no, to know. But- Somewhere not good. Okay. All right. <laughs> I actually don't remember. I was so bad I deleted a memory from my mind. I think it was actually Overstock or one of those sites. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, it I was think just a crappy desk. It looks beautiful. Of course. They always do. <laughs> they always look beautiful. Do you have pets or just the kids? No pets. Okay. So we have two cats, which is sort of like having seven-year-olds. Um, But <laughs> but also you also have to worry about kind of the, the wear and tear of things. Like I put stickers on my childhood desk and my mom was pissed. And now I know like this conversation makes me understand why she's like, are you kidding? (laughs) Stickers on cars. I'm like, Oh my God. (gasps) No. Oh, I never understood that. I I never understood bumper stickers. Don't do it. I know. I know. I'm like the value of your car. And I don't put stickers on my laptop. I'm just a prude and I don't have tattoos. I'm a prude. I'm a purist. Um, Wow. So now I'm so committed to finding this desk for you. Like I'm going to do it. I will not (laughs) sleep until I find this desk. So, so I can't wait to, you're going to have to send us a picture when you set up the, uh, the Otero desk. Um, yeah. I don't know when I will send it up. <laughs> maybe, right. Maybe in 2022. Um, that is amazing. I love that. Uh, I want to know um, what your best um, money saving tip is for listeners. Like what is the best way that you have, have found an extra, you know, $20, $100 every month? Like where did you look first? I want to, I want them, I want them to leave with good financial advice. Um, the best way is from automating, um, just automating everywhere I can, whether it's yes. automating money to my savings, automating investing. And the reason why this is my best money tip is because I don't have to take an action or think about it before I save or invest. I just need to check in to make sure that the action happened every now and then. And the reason why this is so important is because as human beings, it's less about you know, what you're supposed to do and more about if we actually do it. Right. And so what happens when your paycheck is like, oh, I'm going to save, but oh, this thing has come up. I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to go to the grocery store and you end up going over budget, spending more, giving someone money or paying for something. And then when you come back to eventually save, the money's all gone. Whereas when you automate, before you even get a chance to have those mental debates or to forget or to tell yourself, oh, I really need the stress or this grocery item, you've already saved. That's right. So automation um, is, is so, is such a huge deal. And you, you know, if your income is inconsistent, you can start with like small amounts, like automating, automating a transfer from your checking every time you pay yourself into your savings account or into your brokerage account, or, um, you know, you can automate, um, when investments happen. So automation, if you're able to set it up is a great way, great, great, great way to save money. Do you know about the, the app digit? Yes, I am familiar with the app digit. Um, there's a number of similar apps and it basically rounds up your savings. But I think the catch there is the fee that is charged. And a lot of times if you set up with your bank or through payroll, the automation is automatic. That's right. Um, digit. I know Bank of America has something called Keep the Change where yes. you can round up. Yeah, so many banks have this service for free also. Um, 
I've been using. I, I know that it's a cool one. Too. It's so cool. So I want to. I've been. I've told people about it before. I've been using it. There is a fee. I think I don't pay the fee because I think I started using it so long ago, like when it was so new that I don't think there was a fee associated with it at the time. It's five dollars a month, um, which I actually kind of think is worth it. But the thing that I like about Digit is, is actually it's not. It's not rounding up the savings. What it does is it looks at your. Um, I have automation on everything, but then I also have digit as like an extra catch all. So it looks at your checking account every single day. And then you have, you can set these different goals. So you can be like, you know, I want to buy the Peloton bike or I want to go on vacation. No one's going on vacation, but I want to, you know, buy the fancy groceries. Um, and you can say like, you know, it will cost me $500 and I would like to save it by January 1st. And so it'll say, okay, so over the next 80 days, you basically need to save between five and $9 a day to be able to reach this goal. And then what it does is it looks at your checking account. It works in tandem with your bank account. So it'll say like, okay, today Caroline has, you know, today was payday. So today Caroline has, you know, $1,200 in her checking account. So we can take out, we're going to just take out uh, $39.76 and just put it in the savings and put it in the digit. But then, you know, I paid a bunch of bills. So tomorrow my checking account has $100 in it. So they're like, okay, maybe we won't, you can set it so it won't take anything at all. Or it'll be like, we're going to take $1.22. So It'll look at what you have and it'll say like based on what this your net worth of your checking account is at this moment, we're going to take a tiny bit out of it, whether it's $40 or whether it's $3 and then every day it's a little bit more and then you hit your goal, but you don't even like it, you don't even realize it's happening. Like it is, uh, it's great. It's like a great, I think, compliment to the automation, which I have already because the automation is also like no matter, you know, what's in your checking account, it's taking a, a number that you picked. But I feel like with digit, what's kind of cool is like, okay, you only have 200 bucks this week. We're still going to take two $2 and 75 cents and we're going to save it. So it kind of takes away that excuse of like, I don't have enough money. I can't save any money because I don't have enough money. Like it'll be, you can still save a little bit of money and it'll still yes. add up, which I really, really like. And I think I've, I've, I've actually, and it's like you said, it's the, it's the passive, nature of it that makes it so good you don't have to think about it you don't have to do anything it just happens yeah it sounds like it's definitely evolved since <laughs> i use it but you know whenever when it comes to these apps and you know all these things i just think just people get caught up in like what is the best app but mm -hmm. when you get this advice about digit or automation like set a reminder to actually set it up and start testing it out and putting it to work for you yes that you can reap the benefits and not just, you know, hear about it, but not do anything with the information. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think the great lesson of just being an active participant, a participant in your finances, um, is the most important of all, you know, it can be scary, but it's not as scary as letting it all crash over you, you know, when it's too late or when something goes wrong, it's like, you want to be, you know, you want to be aware of what's happening. You want to be in charge. Exactly. I love that. Bola Shukumbi, thank you so much for coming to G Thanks Just Bought It. She is the uh, CEO and the founder, um, best-selling author of uh, Clever Girl Finance. I'm going to link all of um, her resources in the show notes. I know you guys, we said 2020 was our financial year. Look, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but 2021 is there. We still have availability for 2021. I think we can make it happen. Um, and Bola, tell everybody where they can follow you on social, where they can find your work. Let them know. 
Yeah, so just thought by Clever Girl Finance, we have a podcast, we have a YouTube channel, we're on Instagram, and everything is at Clever Girl Finance. I love it. I love a very consistent brand across. Uh, Bola, thank you so much for coming. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. This was great. We'll link everything in the show notes, including the desk, including the website, and we'll see you guys next Friday for another episode of Keeping the